Hey everybody, this is the Extra Podcast with uh, the background laughter of Andy Steiger. Good to be here. Yeah, good to have you. This is Thank episode 246 and uh, we're having a good time already in here. Greg's here today. Hey, it's good to be here, Paul. Thanks. Yeah, I'm glad you're here. It's and our resident drug mule, Jeff Bucknell. Hey, how's it going, dope? <laughs> <laughs> I think last week's beginning of, or the first thing you said last week was, we're going to whack. I did. <laughs> yeah, that was pretty great. Always bringing it back old school. I did. You know, I went and looked at the, uh, the Poochie uh, video again online after the fact, after we did our podcast, and it is great. No, yeah. I'm not talking about our Poochie. I'm talking about uh, Simpsons Poochie. The actual episode. It is good stuff. Yeah. I have no idea what you're talking yeah, about. Yeah, you don't know who Poochie is? Nope. Oh, oh my goodness. Yeah. Well, yep. I apparently need to go listen to that yeah. podcast. Yeah, no, Poochie is, uh, is the Simpsons character. Mm-hmm. Who, oh, there is a new Simpsons character well, named Poochie? Not, not new. He's no, this is a long oh, time This is like ago. 10 years ago. Yeah. Early so 90s. So anyway, we're done with Poochie. Yeah. All right. Probably Matt Crocker is not wearing his hat backwards today. No, and he got a haircut. At all, and he got a haircut, so we're okay. Looks good. Looking sharp. Doesn't yep. look anything like Poochie anymore. No. Hmm. No, he's just Matt. What do we got on the docket today there, Paul? Well, first I want to give a shout out to my mom, because she gave us some great butter horns. Which are these? What are butter horns? Delicious. They're delicious. That's what uh, they are. Like um, they're white bread covered with white frosting. Yeah, mm. but just but the white bread amazing. has some sugar in it, mm. as does the frosting. Yes. You know, some things you eat and you feel bad for eating it, and you're like, I'm gonna need a run after this. I didn't feel bad at all about oh, eating. Oh no, I felt, I felt like eating another one. I was thankful yep. I rode my bike to the church today. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Yep. So, they mom, were thank you. That's okay. We had a staff meeting just Everybody before our you. podcast where we had donuts. So I'm just gonna say. I had a I had a half of a donut because I was warned that there might be special baking. Nice at the podcast. Had a half a donut and now I had that and now I need a nap. Can, does this have a name? Like what exactly did I eat? It's called a butterhorn. Okay, it's called a butterhorn. Butterhorn. You need to you pay bet. attention. Did you actually say that already? Yeah. <clears throat> Sorry, guys. I'm, I'm okay. back. I'm back now though. All right. I'm thanks. gonna have to say though. I have I've I have eaten one of these before. Mm. I have. Is this a menno thing? This honestly, I don't know anybody else who makes these. Anyone in the world? I my I have an Mar- aunt. You know I think Mar- I have an aunt in Martha, Alberta. Martha Stewart makes these. Who makes them? Is this like no. a? Is this an Easter thing? Martha knows nothing. Are butterhorns like normally coming out at Easter time? Oh, kind of you're a, thinking Pasca. That's what I'm. These thinking. These taste a little uh, bit like similar. Pasca. Yeah. Similar. That's what I was thinking. Why are, this, yeah. why are there sprinkles on this one? We don't know. We don't put sprinkles on butterhorns. Not everybody puts sprinkles. Yeah, on that's things crazy. Great. That's crazy talk. Do they put sprinkles on Pascha? Yeah. Yeah. Okay. That's like the best part of Pascha. Although there are two different types of Pascha. There's one that also is more of like a sweet bread. It has raisins in it. You toast it. Uh, nope. And you put Pass. Nutella on it. Nope. So can we... Can we no? Can You're we agree- no to Nutella. No. Can we agree at this point raisins that the thing that you can do to ruin all... Everybody's Easter is to raisins. put raisins and stuff. Yeah. Oh come on! <laughs> you know what? I take offense to that. No, Jeff. listen. Those hot cross buns. You go up to those hot cross buns. You're thinking, oh yes, I think so. You grab one, and it's loaded with raisins, and you're like, ah, oh, I Plus, feel like I got ripped off. Don't here. they? Put I'm a raisins other weird, guy. I'm they, a raisins guy. I'll admit it. They put other weird raisins fruit stuff great. in there too. Right? They are. They're good. And hot I don't cross know. buns. Yeah. They put cinnamon I don't or know. something in there. Poochie says yes. <clears throat> I don't even know it. I've never had a hot hot cross bun. I what? Yeah, no, I've I've noticed this. I've noticed this about about people who want to they they think that they're dressing up the special event food, mm-hmm. right? So it's a if it's a fruit cake 
or if it's a carrot cake, or if it's uh, a cookie, and they think, ah, oh, this thing's more than just the the chocolate and the cookie, or the chocolate chips in the, or just the the normal bun for the hot cross bun. Let's dress this baby up, and we'll throw a few raisins in it. No, that is not addition. That is have subtraction. You, have you not ever had cinnamon raisin bread? Yeah, okay, again. And it's the not cinnamon good. raisin bagel. The cinnamon raisin bread is half a beautiful thing, cinnamon, and half a devilish thing. <laughs> I mean it. What is it? You know, the worst thing to have is that ambrosia stuff. Do you remember that ambrosia? I agree the, with that. That oh, you get the, yeah. the marshmallows and then there's the raisin in it, and you're like, oh, I don't want to eat that. Those things are gross. That's that like showing. Gross. That's like showing yeah. up to someone's house and they're like, Hey, try this salad. It's amazing, and it's broccoli and pea. <laughs> and you're thinking, What? And since we're on this subject, yeah. why do why is every sandwich that's made for like a wedding or funeral have mustard in it? Because nobody delicious. likes mustard. This is your weird. No, uh, the the, ma- the vast majority of people do, you do not, not hold, like mustard. Hold on, and you, not, have, like, you have to put mustard in have it. You that is to New not York? true. Have you had a hot dog in New York? I was just going to say, have you not had a hot dog with mustard in it? Yes, I have. It's delicious. No, it's not. Yeah, it it's is. delicious. Here's the thing, New Yorkers. Jeff. New Yorkers, they don't have just ketchup on a, on a hot dog. They have just mustard. Yeah, but okay, I, I understand there are some people in the world who like mustard. I get that. But if you, the majority of people, no. when you're making public, hey, this is free for everyone. Food. No. Come to our our place. We're going to have a wedding, or we're going to have finger foods after this particular meeting, and they throw. Mustard on you it. You have grossly overestimated people's hatred for no. mustard, yeah. dude. And then yeah. mustard, tomatoes, broccoli, peas, what cauliflower, Brussels sprouts. These should all be consigned <laughs> to private meat. These are the things that you keep behind closed doors so you're people like, don't get offended. You're like my toddler. <laughs> <laughs> I don't want that. Mm, mm, mm. <laughs> Closing his mouth. Unbelievable. That's... Jeff, will you take it if it's a choo-choo train? <laughs> Here comes the airplane. <laughs> I see the mustard. Open the tunnel. He's you, having you, he's you, having flashbacks now. No, I just want I want the listeners to back me up here. You okay? <laughs> let's throw it to the listeners. Do you not. hate mustard? We should. Can we do poll questions on stuff? Hey, you know what? We need Might new, as well for, for we people do. to actually vote on them. The question sure. should be: Do you hate mustard? Yes or no? No, no, we'll no. See do, the, the question should be: Do you think that mustard should be included? As the chief condiment no. already spread upon public sandwiches. Yeah, let's make it so specific so that you win the poll. That was I, my point. I want to hear if people hate mustard as much as you think they do. Yeah, they do. They You're going to find 11% of people no, no, hate they, mustard. They don't. Okay, come on. Let's 11%. be honest. If you have a choice between mayonnaise and mustard, everyone knows which way you're going. You mustard. go with the mayonnaise. If you have a choice between mustard and ketchup, and you know, you know which way you're going here. Ketchup. It's going to be the ketchup. Give me a break. What is wrong with you people? Wow. Well, no, seriously, I'm done. <laughs> he's gone. He took he's headphones leaving. are off. He got up. Oh no, he's back. Oh well. Oh wow. man, he's passionate. Yeah. So anyway, we do need more questions actually to come in. So uh, please email us at extra at northview.org. Send in your questions regarding uh, anything to do with culture, life, theology, uh, Jeff sermons, his hatred for mustard, whatever it is. Send it in. Uh, my mom will not give you the recipe for butterhorns, so don't ask for that. <gasps> Ancient so, semen's secret. Yes, it is a secret. Really? Do you yes. like Dijon mustard? <laughs> no. We're past We're the back mustard, Greg. Kid. Are we past? Are we, yeah, no, all mustard-related condiments need to go. Grape poop. All right. 
Greg, uh, Jeff, we have a question for you, though. Uh, in your sermon, you talked about hearing from God a little bit, and you showed this clip of of somebody getting mad at God and uh, Bruce Almighty, Bruce Almighty, yep. yeah, yeah, Jim Carrey. Yeah, I felt kind of bad. Me, this, smiter. I found kind of bad because it was a real late nineties. Was good reference times, man. toward a sermon. Most yeah. people knew it though. Yeah, I know. It's okay. So, um, hearing from God, we've got now we get we get a number of questions here at Northview actually with people talking about things like listening prayer and what can I hear from God? Jeff, are are we totally against hearing from God? In every no, kind of form. Might, no, my, what is the well? My, what's the deal? My point was that I listen. I think that the scriptures are pretty clear regarding like the bread and butter, not the mustard. The bread and butter way that you should live your Christian life in terms of your hearing from the Lord. God has spoken. He's chosen to speak through His through, through the holy apostles in the New Testament. Okay, law and the prophets in the old. He's chosen to speak this way. It is a sure word. So when you read the Bible, you're reading God's very words. You can trust them to be completely, uh, I'll use the word inerrant, in all they affirm, okay? Mm-hmm. So there's nothing like that. There's not, they, they, they define truth, is what I'm trying to say, because they come from God who is truth. So the question, though, that I have is, it, should it be the expectation of New Covenant people to have a conversational relationship with God akin to that of Moses and God, or akin to that of, you know, you and me sitting here chatting. I I don't find anywhere in the New Testament where that's demonstrated as being the case. In fact, I'll go so far as to say that most of the Bible, uh, the people who are addressed even verbally by God or angels are few and far between. I mean, in in the nation of Israel itself, you just have a few prophets... And even their prophecy is something that happens intermittently. It's not like Elijah, every day he woke up, he received a, a vision. He, he received some visions, and he would share them, but not every single moment of every single day. And here's just one person. Um, in, the New, in the New Testament, what you find is God, a lot of people living lives of what we call expedience, meaning they're just doing the next thing. So Paul's going to travel to that city, he's going to preach the gospel in that city, and it's the Lord through providence, or maybe through a dream or vision, will interrupt him. Uh, Paul and Barnabas are doing fine being involved in leadership of the church in Antioch, and God interrupts them. Uh, Philip is having a good old time in, in up in Jerusalem, and, and the Lord, actually Samaria, and he, the Lord interrupts him and says, I want you to go down to, to you know, the desert road. So I, I'm, my point is that these people are living their lives, the bread and butter of their lives is living out the, the, gospel, the, the implications of the gospel and the commandments from the Lord through his holy apostles, and then the Lord has freedom to interrupt them at any point. That free, that, that in, those interruptions are <clears throat> inter, um, intermittent or unexpected. They don't happen very much. And they serve a purpose. They certainly do, and um, they're not as sure. I mean, in the modern world, they're not as sure as the holy word of God. They're not given the same kind of qualitative uh, stamp. And Paul says this in Galatians chapter 1. Uh, he says this of people and of angels. Yeah, so he says that if, if uh, you know, an angel, even an angel from heaven comes down and preaches a gospel different to that which has already been preached that you've received basically through the apostles, let that, that person be accursed. So mm-hmm. I'm listen, what I'm not saying is that God doesn't speak extra biblically. 
I'm saying that if you want to hear from the Lord, though, the Lord's sure word, then you can take up and read the scriptures. That, that's, where it, that's what the scriptures say has his stamp of approval in terms of that sureness. But I'm not saying that God doesn't speak extra biblically. Sure. I certainly think he does. He continues to. I mean, I've had experiences in that way. I'm not going to elevate that kind of experience, though, that kind of uh, revelation to the same par as scripture. But I hear lots of Christians doing that. Quite honestly, I, I hear that more than... People might give lip service and say, yeah, 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 the Bible. The Bible's a really important book, and yeah, the Bible. Yeah, it's yeah, different, but but I heard God say, thus saith the Lord. They'll use language like that. God told me to. And I'm like, well, I, don't, I have lots of problems with that language that God told me to, because maybe he did, maybe he didn't. By, by attaching God's name to it, you've removed it from any kind of conversation among your brothers and sisters in Christ who might bring some sort of discernment to it. And usually the stuff you say God told you to do is um, non, not surprisingly self-serving. And I, I, don't, I don't mean to be... In, I'm speaking in generalities here. I'm not talking about any particular individual. But most of us have been in rooms where we say, well, God told me to go and build a house. Well, what, which house is that? Well, it's the more expensive one. But God go, told me to buy the car. Which car? Well, it's the more expensive. I was listening to Jesse Duplantis this morning. You guys don't know who that is? Okay, Jesse Duplantis is a word faith heretic. Hmm. And he... I listen to sermons all the time from a lot of these folks. And so he was listening... He was talking about how he is super, super rich because God gave him, and he built this house that's on the Mississippi River that is bigger than any house he's ever been in, and people come in, and they're like, he said, your jaw will drop to your chest when you come in and you see my house. People do that. But I'm, I'm not giving glory to me. I'm giving glory to God because I only built it because God told me to. Okay, so that, it, that's what I'm talking about. Did he? Did the Lord tell you to do that? Now, you're gonna say, he's going to say, well, yeah, of course he did. Okay, but did he tell you to build the house in the same way? Are you sure about that in the same way that you're sure that God spoke through Paul to Timothy in the book of 1 Timothy? And the answer is no, no. So why don't we reserve language for God said, sure words like God said, for the sure stuff that the Bible says, and why don't we put words like, I think God is saying with the stuff that is not as sure. That's how, I would think that we want to make that kind of distinction. I think you'd also want to make a bit of a distinction between um, the language of obedience and disobedience there, in the sense that you, someone could feel compelled to do what they, they think God is telling them to do, um, and to not do it would be to be disobedient to God in the same way that to not do what the Bible is asking us to do would be disobedient to God. Yeah, so, so that's a really provocative thing you just said. Because mm-hmm. that's what people will end up saying is, look, God told me to build the house. I didn't want to be disobedient to him. Right. And what you're saying is that there's, there's a difference between that kind of disobedience, because it's an unsure word with an unsure disobedience now, or obedience. There's a difference between that and uh, love your wife as Christ loved the church. Right. Because to disobey that is to actually be disobedient, because that is actually the sure word of God, his very word given. So I agree with you. I don't know what word to use with that, because again, I don't want to suggest in any way that God can't, can't and doesn't speak from time to time and in ways where he interrupts people. 
in surprising moments. I absolutely think that happens. Since dreams, visions, words of knowledge and prophecy, I totally, yes, absolutely. Mm. I'm right, right there with you. Mm. I just think that there needs to be a far more discernment regarding those words of knowledge and visions and things and an appreciation that the revelation of God given after the New Testament is different than the revelation of God given through his apostles mm-hmm. in the New Testament. Hey, Jeff, don't you think that a lot of this comes down to the whole individualism thing? I mean, when people get this sense like God has a word for you, right? Like, Jeff, God has a word for you, really perks people's ears, and we don't give that same kind of sense of mm. interest to the Bible. Like, these no. are God's words for you. No, you know, and this like, is what happens in churches that end up getting really excited about these things, because it's more exciting to think about God speaking to the specific situation that you face in this moment than it is for you to think that God spoke through the apostles those days, words that were to them in those specific situations, but actually have principle, theological principles that can be applied now. Mm-hmm. Do you see that? So here's my thing. I gave an illustration about how I don't think that God wants us to be toddlers, to use Greg's mockery earlier <laughs> of me. But so here, God doesn't want us to be toddlers. You know, kid, kid goes into a field and, and, you know, if you're the little toddler, a parent, you're walking behind him all the time. Oh my goodness, he's going to fall, he's going to fall, and you're, you're guarding him. At 18 year old, you don't do that. You don't walk behind your 18 year old kids with your, you know hands out trying to stop them. But here's here's the funny thing. My, my you know I have a 15 year old son. My 15 year old son wants me to make him food constantly. He actually wants me to treat him at times like a toddler. Why? What's the reason for my son wanting me to make food for him and not actually getting up and doing it himself? Because it's easier for you. Yes, to do it's it. easier for me to do it. If we were being mean, we'd say he's lazy. Which he probably is. <laughs> right? Do, do you understand what I'm saying? Yeah. So what is the reason that people reject making wise choices, using biblical discernment, using the sure word of God, and trying to say, okay, Lord, you've given me this responsibility. I want to make the best decision I can, and I recognize that you've created like moral boundaries here, but inside those boundaries, there's freedom, and I'm so thankful for that freedom. Help me make a good decision here. Do something that is honoring to you and to my wife and to my family and to all those involved, and I'm going to make this decision with freedom and joy, knowing that you're right there with me, Mm. smiling that I'm exercising the very wisdom that you've given me, right? That's hard. It's harder because the the pressure's a little bit more on you because you're like, well, I... And I want to make a decision that's going to be a good one and a right one. And I might have to. And, and because you feel that pressure, you start exposing it to your friends and saying, "Hey, do you, what do you guys think about this? Do you think this is a good idea? Do you think this is a bad idea?" So you make it more in community because you're a little more frightened. Well, but you know what's easier? What's easier is for me to sit around with a bunch of candles, with a pen in my hand, and you're playing and saying, "God, talk." And I'm saying that okay, maybe the Lord will condescend in those moments in the same way that I condescend to my son by making him ramen, but. Ideally, I would like my son to grow up to be the kind of person who makes his own ramen. Mm-hmm. One of the other things, too, that goes through my mind is, is, is you need to come to an appreciation of who you are, and in the, what the Bible has to say about who you are is, is a broken, messed-up sinner that needs, that needs God's you know, uh, words in your life. I, I, I need His instruction. And so the thing that, that goes through my mind is I need to be careful that I'm not deceiving myself. Right. And the Bible is that buttress, <laughs> totally. right? That's what the moral law does to you, right? It ends up asking questions of your decisions that 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 you will end up justifying. 
by saying God told me. You'll you'll justify the decision, and that's like the, that's the conversation stopper. It's mm-hmm. always the conversation stopper. Why'd you do this? God said to do it. Um, oh, uh, I can't respond to that. But if you say, well, I'm trying to make a decision with the wisdom that God's given and this sort of thing, I've been praying about and asking the Lord for to give me wisdom and help me to, you know, to evaluate and discern my own motives and stuff. And I invite you in, Andy, to make a thing. You say, you know, the way you talk about this new job that you're supposed to be taking sure sounds like the only real reason you want to take it is because it's going to make you rich. You know what the Bible says about being rich? Mm-hmm. Like, is that going to, it's going to cost you all of these other things over here but it's going to make you a, bu- a bunch of money. Is that really worth it to you? Like, is that the most important thing the scriptures would say? And l- l- Just to kind of um, play on that and mix things up, in one of your sermons you talk about when you're looking for direction in your life, you say, uh, h- how did you, you, you had a quip that you kind of used. Yeah, uh, trust God, do what you want, yeah, or trust, love God, do what you want. I mm-hmm. talked about that this weekend as well. Oh, did you? A little uh, bit. Um, when, I think it'd be interesting to talk through that. You know, how does that look... In, in light of in light of what we're talking about today. Right. That's what I'm trying to describe. When I say love, love God, do what you want. Love God means to uh, let the Word of God, the sure Word of God, frame your moral thinker, right? Your wanter. As my friend Brian Hurlbut says, mm-hmm. like, let, it, let it condition your wanter so that you, you end up wanting the kinds of things that God loves. Mm-hmm. Do you, do you see what I mean? It's, yeah, and if you want to know what God loves... So love God, meaning, okay, look to the scriptures for God's moral frameworks, look to the scriptures to have your mind reformed around what's right, wrong, good, evil, that sort of stuff. And then, from that, recognize that the scriptures actually provide... I mean, God is very... He, he provides a big playground for us to make these decisions in about non-moral issues. And would you also agree that he provides community for us to make these totally. decisions This in? is part of my concern about the way this whole thing ends up happening in real terms in our churches, is when we pull the God told me card, then, I mean, I, Greg, you're out, out of the discussion now, buddy, hmm. unless you agree with what I just said. Cause, and this is what happens because we're Canadian and we're polite in those groups. What happens is in the group we go, oh, that's great. And then every one of us, when we get in the car afterwards, are like, really? You think that he kind of really said that? Or do you, like, I don't, that sure seems like a really odd thing to do. And why is it that God's always telling people to buy, buy and build bigger barns? Hmm. Like, has anybody ever noticed that? It's always bigger. Right. Like, God doesn't tell you to buy the little one. He tells you to buy the big one. Oh, I could use it for ministry. Well, okay. God sure seems to like white, rich people. We're, sorry, and, and to push, do you know what I mean? Having mm. big things as opposed to, and I've seen people do it the other way too, though, where they've been like, "Yeah, I need to quit my job and head off in the mission field." Oh, totally. And I've been like, well, "Are you are you sure about right. that?" Right. Totally, totally, and because they felt a feeling. Now, again, listen, I to- feel like I constantly have to caveat this. I totally believe the Lord can do that, right? And does at times really stir people's hearts to draw them to a particular ministry. So what I'm describing is in no way deistic. It's no way like where God is separated from his world and he's not actively involved. I'm actually saying the Lord is very involved in a providential way in everything around you. But I don't think God is trying to send you like signals like Bruce Almighty was asking for with signs and show me and these sorts of things. That's asking God to treat you like a toddler. I don't actually think that the Lord wants to treat you like a toddler. He's yeah, like, I'm going to be with you no matter what choice you make. You have to ask yourself, what kind of God is that that you know, communicates in that sort of way? Right, uh, I'm gonna 
send you, you know, where people are constantly unsure, right? God's like, no, 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 you can know what I've said. Right. Because it's right there in the Bible. Right. And and then I think I totally agree with you. God's going to use other means. He's going to speak through community. I think he can speak directly to you. I think he can use dreams or whatever that might right. be. But everything will be subsur- well, everything will be um, held accountable to the Bible. Right. Hmm. Absolutely. Now Greg, you you spent it's interesting that this subject, I mean I was we didn't plan on preaching Psalm 19. I mean, actually, the text switched a few times over the last number of months on what yeah. we were going to preach. And then last week, you ended up studying a book for a class that you were doing that was very interesting because it was very much along the same sorts of lines. Yeah. Yeah. So the book was um, by John Eldridge, and the book is called Walking with God. He's the wild at heart guy, right? He's the wild at heart guy where uh, apparently I'm not actually a man because I don't love... I don't love camping and skinning things. So that apparently by, by his oh, standards Greg. that I have a lot of manning up to do. I'm very disappointed. Here's here's the connection point with what we were talking Andy's about. Andy's the only man here. It's true. That's right. Paul, you're kind of a man. I, I killed skinned, things. I skinned you, a deer. You skinned a deer. a boy. Mm-hmm. Welcome to the man club. We did. All right. Card given back. So El- Thank you. Eldridge mm-hmm. writes a book where in it, one of his chief arguments is that conversational intimacy with God in the sense that we should anticipate and expect him to be communicating to us extra-biblically, regularly. Um, Eldridge makes the point that that kind of conversational intimacy is a normative part of the Christian experience, and to not experience it is to have your spiritual life stunted. So Eldridge he, so is, he, look, Really quickly, before we, you move on, he, they, he argues that from John 10. Which yes. is a favorite text for people here, and right? Revelation my my sheep hear my voice, right? In fact, the Revelation ten or John ten says that if you don't hear my voice, you're not my sheep, right? So he's arguing that oh, that 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 hearing of the voice is this conversational intimacy. By the way, if you look at John chapter ten at its at its context, it's talking about the, the it's talking about the effectual call of God, meaning like how does Election. somebody get saved? God That's is right. calling them, right, in, a, in an effectual, yeah. like, to-salvation way. It's not talking about right. a conversational situation here. However, if you do take it as a conversational thing, um, the words that say, if you, if you don't hear my voice, you're not my sheep, or you're, you're not my sheep if you don't hear my voice, right? What he's establishing is, oh, so if you don't have this kind of conversational intimacy, guess what you are? Not, not a Christian. You're not a sheep. Yeah. So, so there's a standard that he's holding up here, and he does. He actually consistently holds it up to yeah. say that if you if you don't engage in this kind of conversational life with God, then you're actually not not real. You're not a real believer, right? right. Which we reject. I mean, like I just want you to know, like I right. absolutely reject that because so, yes, if you reject God's effectual call, guess what? How many times you're too, not a believer? Have you ever heard somebody who said, "Man, I, you know, I want to be a Christian, but I just God just doesn't talk to me." Right. I can't tell you the number of people I've heard. Right. And it's like, that's because they have this idea that becoming a Christian is somebody that hears so, directly from God. And if so you don't hear directly Eldridge from God... Eldridge is arguing that point. So right. what is he? What what did you discover, Greg? About the book? Yeah. Um, well, I mean, by his standards, I, I mean, I'm not a Christian. I, I would have very little wow. spiritual depth or... or um, so you're not a Christian or a man. Yeah. So I, I mean, I'm 0 for 2 with Eldridge. So here, here's the danger. The, the reason why I bring it up is that this is a well-intentioned um, 
chain that people will put on others if they get into the world of this conversational intimacy. Which what I've, are some of the stories that he tells? He tells some stories about how this plays out. Yeah, so him and his wife uh, wanted to go get a Christmas tree for their family. They, they, they prayed to ask God to guide them about what exact day to do it. And uh, God told them to do it the Monday after Thanksgiving. Um, they decided not to because they were really tired and one of their sons wanted to hang out with some friends. So they went the next weekend instead. The problem was, is that the weekend they decided to go was massively snowy. Their car got stuck in a ditch. They, they blew two tires. It was horrific. Though It was an ordeal, basically. It's just one misstep after another. And Eldridge makes the point to say, had we been obedient to God in the moment and going the day that he told us to, our experience would have been way more full of joy mm. But because we chose to be disobedient to God's word to us, we were chastised through the experiences that we had. So God's goal for you is always your success and existential happiness. And the avo- your, your the moment avoidance in- of difficulty right. is the sign of God's favor on you because of your obedience to his voice. To his conversational voice. Yeah. So that's a really bad worldview. Another part is when he... He, I mean, it takes it takes suffering out of the... The only time suffering ever happens is because you missed what God was telling you because God doesn't ever want you to suffer, which is, yeah. of course, not what the Bible teaches at any point. It's, isn't that interesting? You don't see that with the main characters of the Bible. No. No, you see that they suffered. No, and, you see Jesus calling the people across the lake, hey, we're going to go to the other side. They get out to the middle, and they're straining to right. try to do it. Jesus sent them out there, and he walks up on the water. And, I mean, presumably, he sent them out there in the midst of the storm so that they, he could reveal himself to them. But again, this is uh, the man born blind. It's told, you know, God, God did this so that he might display his power in you. So look, I'm, it, it doesn't make any sense of the, of the biblical record. It also, though, as you were just about to say, though, Greg, is it puts a chain on the neck of the person who has, you think you're getting this exciting, freeing thing, mm. which is, oh, God's going to talk to me. He's going to tell me. But then Eldridge will end up applying it to like every conceivable thing, like what breakfast cereal should I eat Christmas and whether tree. or not my kid should go and what, where I should get my Christmas tree and when I should get my Christmas yeah. tree. I mean, you, you can see it in, a, in another story that he told where he had a pretty significant biking accident where he broke uh, his wrists and had some other pretty serious injuries. And he, he writes how um, tormented he was over it because he, he couldn't remember if he prayed to ask God if he was supposed to go biking or if he asked God which direction to go down the mountain. And right. so he can't, he can't decide, he can't discern if what, if the reason he has all these broken limbs is God's chastisement on him or not. And that's crazy. Well, he's, and now he's sitting laid up in his, his hospital bed or on his couch feeling, not only feeling injured physically, but like emotionally guilty. Yeah. Like guilty, guilty, guilty for condemnation uh, for, type. Uh, for running away or ahead of God's voice. Well, this what is if what this ends wasn't up happening. Him that got hurt. What if it was his child or his wife? Right. This, but this is what ends up happening: is that you end up getting people who will sit alone in a room for hours, being God, tell me if I should send my kid to this school. Tell me, Lord, if I'll do this or that. Tell me, tell me, tell me. And they're asking the Lord to treat them like a toddler. And and I, I want to say, but the, but the Lord by not answering that prayer for you is actually freeing you mm. freeing you to know that it's God is there saying my pro- I'm with you I'm for you like I the end destination I have in mind I know where we're going 
in the end, meaning we're going to heaven. You're going to be with me forever. So make godly good decisions framed by my moral will in this present moment and feel free to make them. Mm. You want to send your kid to private school? Send your kid to private school. Make that decision with the moral framework that I have in my word. Uh, you want to homeschool? Do what's best. Do you realize what happens when you when you see it that way? The legalism goes away because all of a sudden you don't have people saying, off. well, you know, like God told me to send my kid to public school because, uh, you know, I wanted to be involved in the mission. You obviously did not, and that's why God did not tell you. Or maybe God did tell you to do that. He tells people to do stuff like this, people like me, because he knows we're going to be faithful, but people like you aren't faithful. And so when you send your kid to the private school, but you hear the same from the private school parent, right? Well, I wanted to make sure my child was still going to love Jesus. Hmm. So, so this ends up being elevated into this legalistic chain. It's not just that you express on everybody else and you express on yourself so that you constantly feel guilty. You haven't kept up your spiritual temperature. It's a massive works righteousness mm. that just kills people. Right. So my my caution, you guys can engage with me on this if you think I'm overstepping, so please do. My caution would be, I, I believe in the gift of prophecy that pe- God will bring to people's minds spontaneous things. My concern for the edification of the church. My, First my, Corinthians fourteen. Right. Con- I have a. I have actually a great example of that just from the the other day. I, I, I'm just gonna. Sorry, yeah. just let me finish this thought. Sorry. I, I'm not actually like that's great. The, the fact that he's gonna bring these things spontaneously to mind. My concern for the average listener saying, "Why are you guys talking? What's the what's the deal? Has this influenced me?" My concern would be about going to different things that are training you how to tune in to hear God's voice that is constantly speaking to you, going to things that are trying to teach you how to be conversationally intimate with God. So my concern is less, I have zero concern about God bringing things spontaneously to our minds, because he can and he will and he does. My concern is saying, don't go down the road of seeking the training to tune in to hear from God, because that to me is based on misguided understanding of how Right, let him inter- works. Let him interrupt. Right. Yeah. It's an interrupting work, this this prophecy. This, right. It's an interrupting work. So let it be interrupting. Ra- rather than a tuning in or a, well, a, you, a learning how God to God speaks do through this. his word isn't all this, the time. Isn't this like... Tune into that. Isn't this robbing um, people of their spiritual gifts, kind of, in a way? Because if people... Well, it's saying everyone should be a prophet. Pardon? It's saying everyone should have the gift, the prophetic uh, gifting. Right. Right, or or, but if, even if even in terms of uh, service, if I'm if I'm supposed to get God's direct word for everything I do, I mean, is that not going to rob me from opportunities to serve, opportunities to uh, help others, op- opportunities to love others? Like, it just seems like if if I'm waiting for God to give me this this immediate download of of a information, I'm going to miss all sorts of opportunities because I'm going to be scared. Or justify why you're it. not doing a whole lot of other things. Well, well God, God didn't, right. didn't tell me to do it. Right. Right. Yeah, absolutely. You were going to say, it brings up in a, I'm looking at you, Paul. Yeah. You said that you were going to, there's a story that you had that you illustrates. Oh, yeah. Just in terms of, of um, God bringing us to other people's minds. I have a, I have a friend um who recently was going through some really hard stuff, and and she she said to me that she she got this phone call from another friend who she hadn't told anything about the difficult things she was going through, and the friend called and said, "Listen, I just wanted to call you because last night I woke up in the middle of the night and I just knew I had to pray for you. I don't know why. I don't know what's going on. I haven't talked with you in like a month or more, 
but I knew I had to pray for you, so I did, and I just wanted to call you and tell you that. Praise God. And yeah, praise God, exactly, because God did... Interrupt. Interrupt the situation, interrupted this woman's sleep in order to bring prayer into the situation Absolutely. for this other person's life. So. Absolutely, which is gr- which is great. Totally. But even at that, I'm still going to want to argue what I did this weekend, which was that that, that revelation is not on the same par no, right. with the scriptures in terms of its surety. Totally. In terms of its surety. I'm not saying totally. God didn't do it. I'm just saying, mm-hmm. uh, what kind of level of certainty do you have that that was God waking you up? Well, I'm going to say relative, like quite certain, 70%, I don't know, 80% certain, 90% certain, but it's not 100. It's not 100 like right. you can know for sure what the God has said in, in His Word. Yes. One of the challenges that you have here is that you, this, this is a real problem, problem among Protestants, which is so interesting, because what they're essential, what many people, the way many, many people treat this is that they act like their own personal pope. So the mm-hmm. Roman Catholic Church w- would say, no, no, That's God right. is still revealing on the same level as He did the Scriptures... But he's doing it through uh, the the apostle Peter's descendant, who is the Pope. So there's one person on the planet who who God is revealing to on that level. We Get got it? we got a bunch of popes. Which, by the way, in many ways, is probably more consistent with the New Testament teaching because at least this guy sees himself as an apostle. Okay, and so the revelation is coming through an apostle who has been ordained by God to. I don't agree he was is right. Mm-hmm but who's been ordained by God to to give this revelation. The problem is that we Protestants, we've extended this out, not just Protestants, some evangelicals, have, have, have extended this out to everybody. So everybody's their own pope now, which means that everybody speaks with the same kind of spiritual authority that, the, that, that was once given to the apostles. Mm-hmm. So it, that's very difficult. Right and 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 it's very difficult to to counteract false teaching at that point because you're saying wait a minute there's a standard and the standard is the scriptures and you're saying things that are a little bit that are outside of the scriptures or add on to them or do th- like and you're and you're saying no for me to disobey the word I got from God is the same as for me to disobey you know love your wife as Christ love the church and that no no it's not right so when we were talking about this we got into a little bit about um, about suffering and how. Eldridge, it seemed, doesn't have a really good theology surrounding suffering. If he's saying that uh, God brings suffering in our lives just to chastise us, um, but doesn't this this idea of of suffering and suffering well and and having a good theology of suffering? Um, we had a it, it plays into this question. I think somebody sent in somebody sent in a question, uh, one of our listeners about uh, medically assisted suicide. And this is something that's a big deal in our culture right now. It's a big deal here in Canada and the U.S. We have multiple states that have already approved it. I think our, our Supreme Court here has said that the government needs to come up with laws surrounding this. So, um, What is the current law is, in Canada, Paul? The current law is that uh, medic, well, the, the Supreme Court struck down anything against medically assisted suicide. And so now it's the government's job to come up with a law that allows it. Yeah. So, uh, biblically speaking, though, medically assisted suicide does being so for those that are okay with medically assisted suicide, does that not remove kind of, or does that not, yeah, does that not remove kind of a, a good theology of suffering? having to have a good theology of suffering and trusting that God is with you even in your suffering? Yeah, so the scriptures do have something to say about su- suffering and 
yeah. It, I mean, I think we should seek the alleviation of our suffering. I don't think that that's something that the scriptures would say, hey, don't try to get out from under it. There would be limits, however, right. that the scriptures also place on that. Thou shall not murder, being right. one of them. Right. Um, Any, anyone, including yourself. And this is an issue that often comes up in these days, especially in ethics discussions, which are closely related to philosophy and, um, mm-hmm. and apologetics. Right. Have you ever had to d- interact much with people well, who are talking about this stuff? A little bit, and I think that we're going to interact a whole lot more on these issues because the, the, idea, the ideologies that underpin secularism uh, is the problem. These are very dehumanizing uh, I- ideologies and, and worldviews. So if, if you have a person that is just physical stuff and they're suffering, well, why wouldn't you just end that suffering? Totally. Yeah, and, and, that's and there's the, no prognosis for anything better. You're just it, I, it's like the dog, yeah. Right? Shoot it. It's, that's right. Right. Yeah. There's nothing special about a human being, and it's and a meat computer, but with feelings. It's so like it's, even it's like worse. turning your computer off. Your computer's not working right. I mean, get a new one, or you just turn it off, right? right. And 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 that's the sense I get in our culture today is we're beginning to see persons more and more in that very pragmatic. It's like a utilitarian um, way. way, right? Like, if you're no good to the culture, then you're no good for anything. So you might as well just finish. And, and that you should end yeah. it because life is... I mean, think about it. All the movies are espousing existential bliss at every term. Well, it, there's no God. There's no future. There's only what you have in this, in this time. So that's why you should make as much money as you can, because you can have more existential whooshes with that's more right. money than anything else. So do that... Right. What don't if you're ever in a situation that you're feeling down or bad or awkward or whatever, get out of that situation. Life's too short to feel awkward. Life's too short to to suffer or feel bad. Life's too short. You hear this all the time. Oh yeah. So totally. so you have to get out of those situations. So this applies directly to the to the plight of the invalid uh, or to the person who's palliative. That's right. That they're gonna die. They're in they're in physical pain of some mm-hmm. variety, and it's not enough just to you know to deal with that pain and control it through some kind of medication. Like they have, there's no hope for the future. What good, there's no existential bliss here. So there's no purpose for life. So think about it though, because it it plays out in bigger, bigger ways, as you alluded to, Jeff. What about the person who's depressed? What about the person who has a drug addiction? You know, what about those people? Well, well, why would you stop your drug addiction? You know, why would you, if you're depressed, why not, you know, take your life or whatever it might be, or at least, you know, try to make some sort of bliss or whooshes with drugs or whatever else it might be. Like, it, I, I see this has, having ramifications. Well, the culture's going to shift more and more toward this direction, quite honestly. More and more well, permissive yeah. about oh, those kinds of actions. You have, you have uh, I think it's Belgium now, which is considering allowing child-assisted suicide. So if a child decides it's not worth living anymore, the government is actually debating whether a child should be able to decide if he or she can live anymore. Right, because I mean, again, our culture is bent on self-actualization. That's the goal. That's, right. yeah. that's what Maslow's life is, hierarchy of needs. That's what life is f- focused on. And so now they're debating. They're not debating whether that's actually the highest good. They're they're debating. Right. So who gets to be old enough to determine self-actualization and have that kind of autonomy? Is do, like which is, is really scary 13? when you think about that. The 18? Oh, totally. Is. I mean, now we're not. 
when we start doing this, isn't when we this start, eugenics and a new and then, form? Like, and then that you're, you f- you're, well, think about it though, because you're a burden on society as well. Yeah, totally, right? you're a medical burden on society. So why not remove, you know, that me- that that financial burden? Well, and that's the yeah economic yeah. factors come and involved. That, yeah, exactly. Yeah. And then you get governments controlling the healthcare, right? And so all of a sudden, governments start making decisions. I just, I don't, like I don't want to be an alarmist, a, but I think yeah. people need to realize that these issues are much bigger than they appreciate. Right. So these are all tips right. of icebergs that are showing up, right? Yeah. That beneath the surface is this massive moving, like self actualization oh, yeah. mammoth. Mm-hmm. And it pokes up from time to time in different issues. And one of them is now, you know, doctor assisted suicide, uh, self direction when it comes to the end of your life you get you get to be the one who chooses when it ends how it ends right whether life is worth living even if you're in a in a bad spot for the time being you're going to be end up being allowed to do this in the long run here's the thing that i just want to push the the scriptures that reveal who god is right have a different way of looking at the world. Absolutely. We have a consistent totally. ethic of life. Amen, Amen. brother. Death is mm-hmm. to be fought yeah. at every yeah. turn. Yeah. At every turn we fight it. It's an enemy. It's the only worldview I know that you can be monogamous with that worldview. Every other worldview I know, you you will need to cheat on your worldview at some level to mm. continue because your your worldview is so heinous. And 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 that that's one of the things that I think that I really challenge uh, a lot of people with. I mean, like like what you're saying, the Christian worldview is consistent. Mm. You can stick with it. You don't need any other worldview. No, right. We bring other ones in because because sometimes we're not thrilled with what it means. It does mean suffering. It does mean some mm-hmm. things that are not existentially satisfying. But you know, the problem with people, quite honestly, is that we often sacrifice the things we really want for things that we want at the moment. That's right. And so. As a result, we're constantly focusing just on the here and now, instead of the there and then. And I'm t- it, there Secular is a God. Secular culture does this as well. There is a God. There is a judgment that Amen. your life should be lived with an eye toward that day. And capital D in the scriptures, the day yeah. of the Lord. There, your eye should be lived with a, a, an eye to that day. And I'm telling you, based upon the sure word of God, yeah. that every ounce of energy you give, everything you give up in the here and now, for the sake of that day will be repaid infinitely more Mm -hmm. in in eternal bliss, eternal Mm -hmm. existential momentary whoosh after whoosh after whoosh after whoosh. Just wait. I think a lot of of people don't get that point, that when you look at the suffering of this life, you have to put it in the context of eternity to come. And when you do that, you realize that the suffering we experience in this life, it pales in comparison to the, to the joy that's awaiting you. Right. Mm-hmm. So the words of Paul, Romans chapter 8, and he's right. Because God we keep said our mind. Yeah, we keep our focus on what's to come. Right. That's right. Absolutely. Yeah. And until then, like John at the end of Revelation, we say, come Lord Jesus. Right. So that's it for this week. Thanks for listening. Again, if you have questions to send in, please do extra at northview.org. We'll see you soon.